With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get this ready in time. Blog Talk Radio. Back on the winning track at home. But 
It's going to be a tough basketball season this year, no doubt about it. Uh, people are just going to have to stay the course and be patient as Coach Johnson uh, implements his system, uh, decides on a final eight- or nine-man playing rotation, and continues the recruiting trail. Uh, there was some hope that maybe the uh, letter of intent from five-star guard Terrence Ferguson would come in from Texas, but it did not. At least it has not that we know of, and we don't think it has or will during the early signing period. Uh, but there's another signing period that starts the 13th of April, and as Cecil Hurt so aptly put it today on, on the uh, Tide Sports website, it's just five more months Alabama's going to have to recruit the young man. Uh, they did have two good – we already talked about the two good signees they got in last week, uh, which, you know, Armand Davis and Braxton Key, those were great. But they did not get the letter in that we know of from Terrence T. Ferg Ferguson. And we're joined now by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone. And, uh, Drew, what, if anything, are you hearing about Ferguson's letter? Well, I thought I saw him on there. Maybe he's not quite with us yet. But Drew will be with us here in just a second. And I've got him. His audio's not hasn't come in yet. I don't know why. It's um, probably that deal that I get on Skype where you have to re- reuse your microphone. All right. He should <laughs> be good to go. Doing? Drew, can you hear us? You good? Yeah, got you guys. Great. All right, sound good. Well, Drew, what I was talking about was the uh, fact that uh, Terrence Ferguson's LOI never came in, apparently. You know, I was just wondering if you had heard anything about that situation you wanted to share. Uh, well, I, I had uh, Corey Evans, the managing editor of HoopScene.com, on my show Talking Ball today at uh, 1.30, and we talked about that. And, uh, and and I asked him, you know, what he had, what he thought about the Terrence Ferguson situation, and he said it would be a great class for Alabama if and when you know Ferguson signed. But he did think uh, that if he didn't sign today uh, during the last day of the signing period that. Uh, it might not be a good thing for Alabama. We will see. I'm not necessarily of that opinion. I wish he had signed, but it looks to me like he's basically joined at the hit with Marcus Bolden. And, uh, you know, Corey thought that basically Bolden was down to Kansas or Alabama, and those were the two uh, that were the, the most involved. Oklahoma a little bit. There's still some talk about Duke, but he's flirted with Duke and Kentucky, and he uh, he was not surprised that Bolden didn't sign during the uh, early signing period, and you know I thought Ferguson would sign uh, I, really the the first day, and then when he didn't, I thought it would be sometime before the end of the week. I am a little bit surprised that he did not, but he's not given any indication of uh, even flirting with another school. Now, as Corey said, you know now it gives other schools a chance to go in and try to make a play. I mean, we will see, but uh, again. I'm not going to be a gloom and doomer uh, like so many other uh, supposed quote unquote Alabama basketball fans that I've seen on a bunch of you know on Twitter and Tider Insider and some other places. But I mean, again, it, it's still it is a little disconcerting. But I, I still don't think it's something to just automatically assume he's headed to Baylor, as some have said, or Kansas. I mean, we will see. Uh, but again, I don't think he's given any indication of that. But still, I mean, I do think that Avery Johnson and his staff are still going to be on Ferguson, and uh, they, and, they, and they, until further notice, until otherwise told, they're going to act like he's committed. But they're going to be recruiting him and Marcus Bolden, so we'll just see what happens. 
Well, I think they're going to be recruiting Bruno Fernando too. Well, they may very well. I mean, they uh, they need players. There's no doubt that they could end up adding more than four. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, I found it very humorous that a lot of uh, uh, Alabama fans after the uh, the blowout over Dayton, well, you know, uh, well, well, I thought Avery Johnson was going to turn it around. You know, how can they lose to, by 30 to an Atlantic 10 team? It shouldn't matter what, what league they're from. They, you know, obviously Dayton is one of the better mid-major programs. I guess you still have to call them that in the country. But uh, they're going to win 23 to 25 games, probably win the Atlantic 10. And they went to the Elite Eight two years ago last year, uh, sent Ole Miss home, went to the round of 32, almost went back to the Sweet 16. So they're a very good team, very good program. And, you know, I wasn't expecting a 30-point loss, but I definitely uh, wasn't surprised that the Tide went down and defeated. What uh, people have to realize is uh, not getting Kobe Eubanks in was huge. I mean, he's now going to go to Texas A&M. He couldn't get his academic transcripts in through Alabama. Uh, he would have been a guy that would have added much-needed athleticism and perimeter scoring, which is sorely lacking with this group. And then, basically, this is the exact same team you had last year, ladies and gentlemen, Except for 2,000-point scores and Levi Randolph and Rodney Cooper are gone. And for a while, your leading score when he had his head screwed on straight and before he got injured, Ricky Terrence at Memphis. So, basically, this team is devoid of a lot of the front-line SD talent. And, uh, an NIT berth is going to be the best-case scenario for this team if they can pull it off and finish with 17, 18 wins. Anything, I, I'll just go ahead and say, uh, that's going to be the ceiling. There's no way this team goes to the NCAA tournament. They're just not talented enough. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, and I had thought for sure that they would be an NIT team, but now I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I mean, you're right, it's the ceiling, but it, it's going to be tough to even get that now. I've looked at the schedule, and I'm, I, I can't find 18 wins. Um, but when the conference starts, it, it sometimes turns out that they can pull an upset here and there, especially at home. And the conference is not really all that deep. It's top-heavy with Kentucky and LSU. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to keep improving. Yesterday was, was discouraging. I, I wasn't able to watch the whole thing because of business. I watched maybe five or ten minutes of the game. And I got home and erased it from my DVR because I didn't feel like it would be a good uh, way to spend my time. But, Drew, now that you're with us, let's turn uh, back to uh, the Mississippi State game in football this past Saturday, which uh, it wasn't really a woodshed situation as far as dominating the line of scrimmage and all that. Offensively, they did defensively. But they managed to hit on some big plays, four big plays. And the, the final score made it look like they beat the crap out of them. But it was big plays, two by Derrick Henry, one by Calvin Ridley, and, of course, a punt return by Cyrus. And then nine sacks, I, I, you know, most Alabama had since 1975 against Tennessee. So I know you've had a chance to go over on your DVR tooth and nail. Or what were your impressions there, Drew? Well, I mean, I thought defensively uh, they controlled the game throughout. I thought it was huge when they uh, stopped Dak inside the inside the one yard line on the fourth down play. I thought uh, Dan Mullen should have taken the points there, but he got greedy, and I felt like that I knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to let Dak uh, try to run it in, and Alabama stuffed it, and I think that set the tone. And 
you know, offensively, they didn't play a great football game. So, in a lot of ways, I still thought it was one of Lane Kiffin's better game plans. I just felt like the players didn't execute at times. Uh, you know, I felt, I felt like Jay Coker missed two or three reads where he had Darius Stewart wide open. He's got to make those. And, you know, as the season goes on and, and reaches, you know, the end, and we're, we're, we're toward the end of the journey here. But as the playoff, if they are able to get into postseason, if you're able to qualify for postseason, the SEC championship game, the, you know, if you're in the Final Four, you've got to make those plays. Uh, I, I, but I felt like the kicking game continued to get better. Uh, Cyrus Jones has been close to breaking, you know, a punt return all year. And uh, he finally got it done uh, against uh, Mississippi State. And then, uh, of course, you know, I don't really blame the field goal miss on Adam Griffith there. I think they gave up too much penetration. And if they hadn't, if he would have uh, kicked it uh, down the middle like he did the other one. I still think he's turned the corner. He's fine now. Uh, you don't, you know, you're still going to hold your breath somewhat, but I still think he's in a much better place. And I thought he did a really good job kicking off. I thought the kick coverage was really good. The biggest thing that I took out of it is you lose a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick near the end of the first half. You put Tony Brown in, who I think may have finally fully bought in. He has to play a half against a and come off bench cold against a team, uh, you know, that where, where they're throwing to set up the run. We said they were going to throw the football and spread it out, and Tony played well. Should have had an interception. I felt like was in position the whole night. You know, Marlon Humphrey got beat deep one time, but Alabama still stopped them. And uh, you knew they were going to make some plays, but I felt like Alabama in the red zone would be too tough for Mississippi State, and they were. And then again, they uh, the, and then Derrick Henry, they just had to keep feeding him in the second half. He broke the one near the end of the first half, and then second half, I felt like he he continued to get stronger. And by the end of the game, they had gotten tired of hitting him, and they just wore Mississippi State down. But overall, a very workmanlike performance, and I felt like yet again this team continues to play their best football on the road. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely about that. And uh, tonight at his press conference, Drew uh, and, and Thomas has the audio ready. Coach Saban had a, a classic quote when he, that he was asked about defending an option team, and he remembered back to how tough it was when Georgia Southern ran for over 300 yards back in 2011. This is Nick Saban from tonight's press conference. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And I think that team won a national championship, but I'm not sure. And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Could not stop them. Could not stop them. Because we, 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 we couldn't get a look in practice. We didn't practice it right. All right, and everybody said the same thing in that game. You all took a week off. All right, this wasn't important. All right, so it's not important to anybody else. It's got to be important to the players, and it's got to be important to us. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Saban is only Nick Saban can. And, Drew, you know, the reporters that were there tonight, we're going to give Thomas time to work on our first guest now, but the reporters that were there tonight had, had never heard him use that expression. I have heard him say that one other time, and I don't know if it was a relevant meeting or maybe one of the uh, uh, Crimson Caravans, something of that nature. But I've heard it once, but it's been a while. But the guys there tonight had never heard it. You heard the chuckles in the background. But uh, that, that just paints a very interesting picture of defending a, a lower division option offense, Drew. Well, it does, and I was at that game, uh, and they and they did. They had trouble uh, defending it. They had a kickoff return for a touchdown. They ran the ball well. Most thought the starters would be out by halftime. They had to play a little over three-quarters of the game. Trent Richardson finished with 
175 yards, I believe, and three touchdowns. He had to play, uh, near, again, almost you know the entire football game. Uh, they t- but I will say this, Georgia Southern had one of the best uh, option quarterbacks you're ever going to see, and that was South Carolina transfer Jay Shaw, who was a tremendous ball handler, an excellent uh, underrated runner, and just really knew how to run an option attack. And, uh, of course, his brother Connor Shaw became a great uh, quarterback at South Carolina. But Jay Shaw, no doubt about it, uh, was a great option quarterback and uh, gave Alabama fits that day. Yeah, and, and their their running backs did well. It's it's a tough option uh, offense to defend. Uh, you just don't see it. And one week may not be uh, enough to to get a, you know accustomed to defending it. Uh, it's but you know, and, and the people tonight at the press conference, to their credit, were smart enough not to ask him about playing younger players and all that. But he brought it up anyway. It's like, okay, you're not going to ask me. I'm going to say it anyway. So that was cool. Uh, we didn't really have time to run the entire audio, but what we did run to the highlight, uh, we were. You're right. Jaybo did play at Georgia Tech before going to Georgia Southern, but he still was a great option QB. And of course, Connor played at South Carolina. Correct. The Shaw family uh, had had a pretty good run of quarterbacks in D1 football. And, and I'm not sure about what Coach Saban said. Georgia Southern definitely made the playoffs that year. I'm not positive they won the national championship, but they got pretty far in the playoffs that year. They won. A number of national championships, and now Georgia Southern is the one. Uh, they play in the Sun Belt, but at the time we played them, I believe it was their last year of one AA. But uh, anyway, I want to go ahead and bring on a first-time guest. We've only got her for about 15 or 16 minutes, so got a lot to ask her. A longtime colleague and friend of mine, one of the most respected broadcasters uh, in the Southeast and really the country. And I'm proud to call her my friend. I'm proud to call her my sister in Christ. Welcome to BAMS Radio, Rachel Barbo. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Great, Rachel. Great. Good, uh, Rachel. Great to have you with us. It, it's Thank a, it's you a, so much it's for having me. It's a privilege to have you. Oh, we're glad to have you. And I want to start off the conversation, Rachel, by letting you recap for our listeners the touching and poignant situation that you experienced on the sidelines just after Marlon Humphrey's interception, he was knocked out of bounds by Deronye Wilson. I'll let you pick it up from there, Rachel. Yeah, I was in the press box, and the game was, was you know clearly out of hand, and I went to spend the last nine or so minutes down on the sideline. I was in the end zone, and, and then just had this kind of gut feeling, as we often have to follow in our, uh, you know, journalistic methods in our lives. I had this kind of gut feeling just to get closer, get closer to uh, the Alabama sideline, the Alabama bench, and I was kind of down a little bit farther towards the end zone. I said, yeah, I'm going to get it a little bit closer. And as I did, I saw the Runya Wilson down, and, I mean, it, he wasn't moving. And I happened to be he – was, he was literally right at my feet. And the trainers came over. There was an Alabama trainer. There was a Mississippi State trainer. They were speaking in hushed tones. I myself was uh, I was praying up under, under a breath, but but a little bit audibly, very uh, in a whisper tone. And I realized just to the left of me there was a state trooper named Eddie, who was also praying, and he wasn't moving. I mean, Duranya's legs, his feet were askew and toes out, uh, pointed the uh, the opposite direction of each other. And there, all these trainers are, are bent over him. They're whispering. Dan Mullen comes over. He says something to Duranya. And uh, and then the trainers kind of gravely tell him, you know, what's going on. Then, you know, Nick Saban comes over, which I, I thought was, you know, just really 
it was touching. He didn't have to do that. He asked, you know, Dan, what was going on? Is he okay? And then right about that time, the trainers literally tickled his upper thigh. Uh, and when they did, his foot jerked, like in a spasm mode, his foot jerked. And everybody just had this audible sigh of relief. But right around that time, he's still down. They're trying to figure out, you know, they're calling the motorized vehicle whether to get the backboard out or not. Um, I saw Derek Henry push his way through teammates, and around that time, you know, Mississippi State teammates had come over, and they were kind of trying to keep them back, and different teammates had come over, but um, Derek pushed his way through the crowd and screamed audibly so he could hear him, to run, he could hear him. He said, praying for you, dog, praying for you, and he said it, and, you know, he didn't stick around, you know, he just walked back down the bench. And it was just that moment that struck me on a day when we were all reeling the day after um, from Paris, um, the attacks in Paris, and wondering, you know, what our future is here in the United States. Also honoring uh, Keith Joseph Sr. and Jr. that uh, that lost their lives there tragically at Mississippi State in a car wreck together, a father and a son. Um, You know, that on top of it. And just a day where I recognized the value of football for the redemptive value of football, bringing us all together and giving us something to kind of lose ourselves in. It was just so wonderful to see a young man who we praise on the football field, Derek King, we praise him for his prowess on the football field, but it was so beautiful to witness his character. Gentlemen, he did not have to come down there, push his way through, and let Duranya know as he was going through a scary situation that he was praying for him. But just with such a simple gesture, he showed us the true nature of his character and his faith, and it was just beyond touching, and I had to tell the world about it on Gridiron Now. It was a great story, Rachel, by the way. I mean, uh, I read it on Facebook. Uh, a good friend of mine had shared the link, and it was very touching and uh, uh, very well written. And you're right, Derrick Henry, uh, has, it's really amazing the journey he's been on. Uh, this is his third year with the program. He came in so ballyhooed, the all-time leading rusher in the history of high school football, over 12,000 yards. But much like uh, the ones before him has had to wait his turn and uh, had his breakout performance in the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma in a losing effort. And then Mm -hmm. as a backup last year, uh, almost rushing for 1,000 yards, really outrushing T.J. Yeldon due to T.J. being banged up. And then finally taking the reins this year uh, and uh, just continuing to get stronger as the season has gone along. Uh, In your mind, and I know you pay very close attention uh, to college football and follow it very closely mm-hmm. with the performances that you've seen, that you saw in Starkville, Mississippi, and mm-hmm. that, of course, that we saw uh, against the LSU Tigers, against Leonard Fournette. Do you think Derrick Henry is the front runner for the Heisman right now? Yeah, I think he is, and I think, you know, it was certainly because Leonard Fournette uh, took himself out of that, you know, and, and, and maybe we say the Alabama defense took him out of that. I mean, you know, for the most part, we thought – that the uh, Alabama was going to simply contain him and contain is around 85 to 100 yards what had happened before he played in that LSU game. And they just absolutely shut him down. I mean, I've heard people say that this Alabama defense, this front is is something they haven't seen in 25 years. That And, and it is – I mean, I'm talking about all sorts of articles. My friend Bruce Feldman wrote one today for Fox Sports just – totally propping up this front. But absolutely, with Leonard Fournette just kind of taking himself out uh, with the Teron Boykin, the TCU quarterback, obviously taking himself out, injuries and, and different things going on with TCU and then losing. And the thing about Derek is, and Coach Saban has talked about it, but I've, I've uh, from heard from other sources, he is a guy, and I saw him after the LSU game, just literally trying to get, get his breath to even talk 
on the television, uh, you know, interviews after the game. And he was running so hard right there at the end of the game. And that's what they'll tell you is he gives the same kind of performance at the end that he does at the beginning. And I've heard, you know, he's the kind of guy that if he's going to run the 50 for you, um, excuse me, a 40-yard dash for you, he wants to run it two or three times beforehand to get his blood pumping, to get going. And then, you know, that third or fourth time is where he's going to give you the best 40-yard dash time. That's just who he is. So when other people are winding down, Derrick Henry is simply getting started. And I think that matches what Alabama has done, classic Alabama in years past. And this team that I'm seeing, Alabama is like an anaconda uh, they they'll toy with you for a little bit in the in the first half, first quarter and then they literally will just suck the life out of you and by the fourth quarter Nick Saban has kind of instructed the troops to be well I say this you know pretty seriously but you can say it tongue in cheek too to step on their throat and finish them I mean that's that's kind of the mantra of you know we you know they play Alabama football they play their own brand of football they don't worry about what you do and they take care of business at home so I think Derrick Henry certainly matches his work ethic. His character, as we saw on the sideline, many people have seen for years before. His work ethic, it matches that of the whole Alabama program. And Nick Saban, there are really many Sabans, if you will. We're talking with Rachel Barbo, who is with SiriusXM College Sports Nation, writes a blog for Gridiron Gold, motivationally speaks, mentors young female sportscasters, and uh, still found time to spend a few minutes with us tonight, and we certainly appreciate it. I want to get now, Rachel, into your relationship with former Alabama and Philadelphia Eagle player Kevin Turner, uh, who's battling ALS, and uh, you, you've been involved with him for well over a year now. Tell us how that started, and then uh, kind of uh, explain to us the situation about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Kevin's honor. Yeah, I met him. He came into my studio when I was working in Birmingham a couple of years ago, and you know, he came in for an interview, and, and uh, he'd just been diagnosed recently, and I had to kind of help him with his, you know, his drink uh, top, and I had to help him turn up the volume because his started in his hands on the on his headset. And, you know, honestly, guys, I tell people this, you know, I felt sorry for him. And, you know, he told me as soon as we went on the air, you know, don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel pity for me. And I didn't want to feel that. You know, he said, uh, you know, you step off a curb tomorrow and get hit by a bus. At least I have a heads up on my life. And, you know, you look back at those moments, those intersecting moments of your life, and where you go, wow, my life changed at that moment. And it was really then that it did. And I fell in love with the spirit, um, and I planned a fundraiser for him in Atlanta uh, to show his movie at that time, American Man. It went okay, but I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a 100% gal. I, I want, especially for somebody like Kevin and people that are fighting ALS. So it just kind of stayed with me, and, and I saw a documentary on uh, on. Kilimanjaro, and I frankly thought it looked terrible. I thought, who would want to climb that mountain? That looks miserable. And then I thought, it was this crazy idea. Why don't we climb it for Kevin? And I took it to the head of the foundation, and she said, you're crazy, but you're my kind of crazy. And uh, we organized a climb that was in the fall of 2013. We climbed in March 2014, and uh, nine of us did, and it was 19,341 feet, 63 miles from the top to the bottom, five days up. Two days down, we marched into a snowstorm. We raised $80,000 for the Kevin Turner Foundation, which directly funds awareness and research for a cure. And the coolest part of it is we took a film crew up, and, you know, now there's a movie, and it's called Climb for Kevin, and it's narrated, get this, guys, by Mike Ditka. And we are taking this movie across the country. just premiered it in Nashville. It's been in Connecticut, New York. We're taking it to Atlanta, uh, presuming that Alabama finishes the drill. Uh, Atlanta on December 4th. Um, we'll have it at Burn Lounge in Buckhead, and they can go to rachelbarbeau.com, send me an email, go to kevinturnerfoundation.org for more information. There's only 100 seats. 
For the first 100, we'll get to see this film. It is amazing. It's life-changing. It'll make you want to go do something for somebody else with your life. And I'll leave this question with this. I don't have kids yet. It is by far the most impactful thing I've ever done with my life. And Jackie Robinson said our single greatest purpose on this earth is to influence another human being's life. And um, I did that and continue to do that when, when, when Kevin Turner walked into my studio that day. And uh, yeah, it's a great uh, that's a great uh, thing you guys did, uh, Rachel. There's no doubt uh, helping uh, Kevin's cause, and everyone knows, you know, kind of what he went through both at Alabama and in the NFL. And he was a great. He, and, uh, and the thing is, the thing about KT, I've never heard a former teammate say anything bad about him. This was before right. he came down with ALS. He's such a great person, and now Alabama's being affected by it again with Kerry Good, uh, yes. one of the uh, one of the first families of Alabama football. And of course, they've already had tragedy losing his brother. But uh, I know that uh, the Alabama nation is going to be uh, out in full force trying to help him as well. And I just wanted to say kudos to all of you for helping Kevin. And uh, and I think uh, it's a great thing. And I and I think uh, it, it's something that uh, that more people should do as far as to try to uh get and, and again you 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 did it in a unique way too and i and i just want to say it was a class thing uh, that you guys got accomplished and it's a, and i'm so glad that the movie's been made and that mike dick helped out and uh, it should help uh further the cause to try to find a cure maybe someday for als even though it seems pretty hopeless right now you know here's here's why we did it we said um you know every day somebody goes up the mountain of als just like we went um, up Kilimanjaro, but maybe, just maybe, and I said this in the film, maybe what, maybe just maybe, maybe it's through our efforts, or maybe we inspire somebody who goes out and does a fundraiser, and that money is the money that was, you know, directly sent to the cure, to, you know, to research for the cure, but maybe, just maybe, one day, somebody goes up that mountain of ALS, and they come back down, you know, maybe there is a cure in our lifetime, um, but it's not in my lifetime, at least I know when I die, that I spent my life uh, dedicated to the cause and dedicated to trying to find a cure for Kevin and so many other people that don't have a lick of notoriety that are just normal Joes that are fighting this disease. Rachel, one final question. I know you're busy and we do want to let you go here in a minute, but uh, it, it was unique for me sitting there with you in the press box watching you uh, because you're the most objective Auburn graduate I've ever known in my life. Uh, <laughs> and we're watching the end of the Georgia-Auburn game, and I know inside of you it was killing you, but you held it, and you were you were a pro. So I want to ask you now, uh, how do you see the Iron Bowl shaping up next week? Well, I mean, you know, normally you would say, um, normally you would say it's a rivalry game, and anything can happen, and anything could happen. But I think that this year it is almost like a David versus Goliath. I mean, it is, you know, and certainly in that in that story. Um, you know, David uh, certainly uh, persevered, and but this is it's it's really unevenly matched. I mean, it it is this front is full of future NFL talent. It is again, by some accounts, the best front they've seen in 25 years. You know, particularly, I, I find it fascinating that in a time when we are seeing video game like numbers, these offenses. You know, football is predicated on offenses and this spread and all everything uh, new is old again and. I find it fascinating that Nick Saban is winning classically, and by that I mean suffocating defense, great special teams, congratulations to Bobby Williams, uh, fundamental tackling, right, and and just a running game, a ground-and-pound running game that will just absolutely mow you down. And I, it's old-school football to me, and, and I find it very, uh, very appealing. I like the brand of football. 
I was brought up as I went to Auburn, and I came to Alabama in 2009 and through 2011 to cover two national championships. And I was just telling Tommy Deeds of the Tuscaloosa News this morning that it was the best thing I ever did because at that moment I wasn't an Auburn girl. I became an objective reporter. And, you know, Nick Saban made me a better reporter. But I really feel like uh, this team, uh, the Alabama team versus the Auburn team, is just so unevenly matched. And especially with the, the woes that Auburn has had just producing uh, you know, passing plays and passing yardage, figuring out who the quarterback is and the quarterback for the Bulls this year versus this defense. I mean, this is a defense, and I said it about Treon Harris down at Florida too, presuming now that it goes to the SEC championship. This defense is where SEC quarterbacks go to die. I mean, you know, on the field. Um, so, yeah, so I don't see Auburn having really a lot of hope against Alabama, really any, and I see Alabama winning big in the Iron Bowl this year. And, Rachel, my final question for you, you were there, I remember, uh, at Ole Miss when uh, Alabama didn't finish the drill and uh, had the five turnovers and the mistakes, but we kind of saw Jake Coker win the football team that night. Uh, He came off the bench and and rallied the troops from a big deficit. From what you've seen of Jake Coker and the way he's uh, evolved and developed this year and this Alabama defense and the way the kicking game's improved dramatically uh, since game one, do you think this Alabama football team is good enough ultimately, uh, obviously, to get into the playoff but to win the national championship? Yeah, here's my my deal, guys. I think, and I've thought this long uh, since last year, you know, Nick Saban is, is great at rematches, and, and Nick Saban is one. I remember he told us at a particular press conference a couple of years back that what Miss Terry gave him for Christmas, the best Christmas present, was the ability to come downstairs, eat his little Debbie's, open presents, and go back upstairs and watch more film. I mean, that's what he wanted. And he's a machine, and we all know this. And so it's been my feeling that there has been kind of unfinished business since the second half of the Sugar Bowl last year since they got outcoached and got outplayed by a great staff. And we see what Tom Herman's been able to do as a head coach at Houston and and subbing in yet another quarterback to win a game last week against Memphis. But I felt like there's been unfinished business since then. And I felt like that's been on Saban. And these guys, as I mentioned earlier, like little Sabans and soaked that up. And I think Ole Miss was a game that got away from them. But you're right. Um, you know, from then on, we're told that Jake Coker was kind of his, you know, vanilla Vic and Minnie Roethlisberger and his toughness. He won that locker room and he won that team and, and he really got everybody behind him. However, I will tell you that I tweeted on Saturday, I said, you know, if uh, if Alabama has a Hamarsha, which is like an old literary term, I, I think I made my eighth grade literary teacher really proud, if they have a fatal flaw, it is Jake Coker at times. While he can be physical and tough and get the, the, the tough third down, he can't throw that lollipop, that interception at the untimely, you know, time in the game where you're like, oh, man, really? But Alabama has enough other things going for them, i.e. a great running game. You hope they can get Kenyon Drake back around that edge uh, as well. The suffocating defense. You mentioned the special teams, the kicking game. I think they have so many other things that if they can contain Jake Coker's interceptions and, you know, and miscues, which they haven't been many, um, if they can contain those, then absolutely they can win the national championship. Right now, you know, they are playing, to me, like one of the best, if not the best team in the country. And I feel like at this point, if Alabama continues to play like they did against Mississippi State and like they continue to play – that uh, they played at LSU with Jake Coker as their quarterback, that they will be in Arizona uh, for the national championship. Well, Rachel, we certainly want to thank you for your time tonight. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again at some point down the road. And uh, before we let you go, tell our uh, listeners uh, the various ways that they can read you and listen to you. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, first of all, they can follow me on Twitter. I think it's called social media for a reason. I think far too many people that are in our line of work don't answer back, talk to fans. Uh, they don't interact with people, and so they don't get the part of social media. And I love the people that I interact with on Twitter. Um, so they can follow me at Rachel Barbeau. It's R-A-C-H-E-L-B-A-R-I-B-E-A-U. And if you didn't get that, you can just put in Rachel and some version of my last name and sports and Google, and you'll find my Twitter address there. Also, rachelbarbeau.com. A gridiron now, I write there, and I do a podcast with former LSU quarterback Josh Booty called Booty and Barbeau, and we do it twice a week, a video podcast uh, on Gridiron Now. And then I'm also the first uh, female, very, very proud of this, on Sirius XM College Sports Nation. They they bestowed me that honor about two years ago and uh, hold down the fort over there with all the guys. And I do occasional work for Bleacher Report. So I'm very fortunate, very blessed. Guys, there's not a day that goes by in this industry that I don't pinch myself and go, I get to do what I get to do. <laughs> Absolutely, Rachel. Well, we really appreciate you for joining. It's been our pleasure tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to come back again. All right. Thank you, Rachel. That's Rachel Barbeau of uh, Sirius, SM, Sirius XM College Sports Nation, among other. Uh, she's, uh, she's a busy lady. Uh, and I was uh, telling Thomas this in the back chat, but many years ago when Rachel had only been out of Auburn a year or two, she was doing a talk show in Columbus, Georgia, and she decided she needed to learn more about the game of football so she got permission, signed a waiver, and all that, and suited up for practice for a couple of weeks with the arena football team in Columbus. And I mean full gear. I mean, they were allowed to tackle her and all that. And I mean, they didn't try to kill her or anything, but she was a receiver and she caught passes and dropped passes and learned, learned plays. And she knows a little bit more about football than your average female sports cast. She's very well respected in the industry, very well spoken, as you heard. And I wanted to have her own mainly for two reasons. One was for her to recap what she saw about Saban and Derrick Henry with Wilson there on the sidelines, and two, to tell the, the Kevin story. And she gave a short version of the Kevin Turner and uh, ALS and climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I really would love to see that movie. Uh, they're trying to get it in Birmingham and Mobile and some other places. They haven't gotten in Huntsville. They haven't gotten all that accomplished right now. It's just been shown in Nashville, and it's about to be shown, as she said, in Atlanta the week of the SEC championship game. But uh, anyway, uh, that was Rachel Barbo, first-time guest. Glad to have her. And uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be joined by uh, William Redfish Barger. Uh, but before we do, uh, uh, Drew, I wanted to let you interject uh, any thoughts that you might have. And I know it's a little bit of a slow time, but any thoughts you might have before we bring William on on the uh, status of Alabama football recruiting right now? Well, I thought we had Drew. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Well, so, sorry, Kerry. I just was. I was just saying uh, there was a report, you know, uh, from another some, someone in the industry today about the recruiting industry. Uh, I, I don't really think there's a whole lot going on, uh, but that only Texas, Houston, Texas uh, inside linebacker Dontavious Jackson, uh, you know, might be led back to leaning to the University of Alabama because of the situation with Charlie Strong and kind of some unrest there and the rumors about Miami and of course Charlie tried to shoot those down today uh, but they're going to be out there you know Texas has not had a good second year under Charlie and uh, he's going to be on the hot seat big time and Alabama loves Dontavious Jackson and they, they'd they like to sign him along of course with Lydell Wilson and, and Ben Davis who are two of their uh, other top linebacker prospects though Lindell has not had a good year uh, he's heavy uh, his team did not uh, perform well 
Uh, but, you know, Deron Payne, the same could have been said for him last year. And Payne, uh, we all have seen uh, what he's done on the field. And I think, you know, Lindell has a chance to do the same thing once he gets to Alabama and becomes part of that program. And then with the Crimson Tide, you're going to see coaching staff movement. You're going to see Lane Kiffin move on. Will Kirby Smart get the job at South Carolina? You know, if Alabama continues to perform this way on defense, I wouldn't be shocked if he finally got his opportunity. Then you have to look at a guy, someone like Scott Cochran going with him, maybe someone like Wes Neighbors, Wesley Neighbors, the son of Wes Neighbors, a colleague of mine, moving on. So there, there's going to be some movement. Uh, but as long as Nick Saban's in the uh, office, uh, you know Alabama's going to have uh, uh, be a dominant on the recruiting trail. Also, uh, there's the, there was a very interesting tweet today uh, by Devin White about, you know, I hope people aren't irritated by the school that, that you know, fits best for me. Many think Alabama may have uh, moved back to the forefront for Devin, so we will see. I do think no matter what the situation, Alabama is going to uh, finish very, very strong. John Garcia, great friend of the show, uh, went to see uh, Dexter Lawrence uh, this past weekend, this past Friday in North Carolina, Wake Forest, North Carolina. A dominant kid, Kerry. I mean, he's 315 pounds, so, you know, 6'4", 6'5", and he one time lined up at middle linebacker. And, uh, and made a, and made attack on a blitz. So he's a dominant player. Florida's involved with him. Some people think it'll be North Carolina or NC State to be near his mother. But if Alabama can get him back on campus, you know, for an official visit before his decision, he's always loved Alabama. But it, the the options are there. Uh, they're going to finish really strong. It's just right now there's not there's not really I don't in my opinion there's not any real commitments on this uh, on the uh, horizon besides maybe a Lawrence Dexter Lawrence who is a uh, I think set his date for December the 14th. Another guy I wanted to ask you about, and we'll probably talk to William about it some too. But do you do you think it, it seems like this? I, I don't even know how to put it in words. But do you think Alabama has a puncher's chance at Greg Little, Drew? I uh, I don't really think so. I think uh, the mother uh, likes Ole Miss. I've always been told in this industry. If the if a school gets to the mother, that's where the young man's going to go. And I think ultimately with Laramie Tunsil, uh, to the, going to be a top five, top ten draft pick, the left tackle position being wide open, Alabama signing who they've signed, Charles Baldwin and Jonah Williams. Now, you know, John DeLance from Mesquite, Texas, has set a December visit date for Alabama. We'll see if he makes that visit. I personally don't think that Alabama's going to take him. They're, they're the two tackle prospects behind Little in order were Kellen Deesh, who from Texas, who is decommitted from Arkansas and committed to Texas A&M, and then DeLance, who used to be an Oklahoma Sooners commitment. I'm not sure Alabama's going to take either one of those guys. Of course, obviously, Deesh is off the board. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to take DeLance either. I think they're going to take uh, someone, maybe another tight end, another wide receiver. They're going to take somebody at a need position. and. I think with uh, Baldwin being the top-ranked junior college tackle in the country, and then many believe in Jonah Williams is better than Greg Little, I think Alabama's fine. Well, without further ado, Drew, I'm going to let you bring on our next guest. He's on hold. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're honored again to be joined by a great friend of mine, a member of the 1992 National Championship team at the University of Alabama, played from 89 to 93, offensive guard for the Tide, 
former uh, John Carroll Catholic football player, uh, grew up in Birmingham, and still resides there. And uh, he's been a, a colleague of mine uh, at Alabama Intel in the past and also uh, is, continues to be one of the foremost insiders on Alabama football, and that's William Redfish Barger. William, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing a lot better. That's the first time I've ever uh, enjoyed sitting on hold waiting to come on, listening to y'all break down the offensive line recruiting board. <laughs> I know that's your favorite thing, man, and I know uh, you've you, you've uh, uh, you've uh, followed it very closely. The rebuilding of the all O line uh, under Mario Cristobal, who has taken some heat this year, most of it unfair, uh, because again uh, we we've talked about it on this show. Uh, he he and Lane Kiffin not necessarily in agreement uh, with the offensive direction at times and with the blocking schemes, but. This offensive line seems to be getting better, William. It seems to be playing its best football at the right time. I know there was some uh, – it was a little bit of a slow start on Saturday, but the bottom line is Derrick Henry's put up a monster season, and you can't do that without the big guys up front, you know, doing a pretty good job. No, absolutely not. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at a lot of those big runs that Derrick has had this year, you know, you, you could have driven a – you know, an 18-wheeler through the holes that he's had to open. And, you know, I, I was watching the game with some friends of mine Saturday, and, you know, when Alabama came out, you know, and had that slow start offensively, of course, the, um, you know, the, the, the monkeys that I was watching the game with that don't know what they're watching started raising Kane about, you know, why is Lane throwing? You know, we need to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And I'm like, guys, He's throwing the ball because they've got eight, nine guys in the box um, stacking the line of scrimmage and their run blitz. Just wait, you know, just like in the Tennessee game, just like in the Arkansas game, you know, this team is going to impose their will on this bunch. They'll be gassed and, uh, you know, they'll get theirs. And, uh, you know, I, I tried to explain to them, you know, Nick Saban didn't bring Lane Kiffin in, you know, to be the offensive coordinator to, you know, line up um, and, and try and run the ball with a running back who is not very good um, with lateral movement and quickness and when guys get tangled up around his feet, um, you know, once he gets going, um, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field, nobody's going to catch him. But, you know, when you're an offensive coordinator, your, your number one priority is to take what the defense is giving you. And, you know, a perfect example of that is the – you know, the big touchdown that Calvin Ridley had. Um, you know, I, I have the same, you know, token response to everybody that's critical of Lane. Um, you know, he's he's taken Alabama to the playoffs, well, hopefully this year too, but two years in a row with an average quarterback, and he's produced two Heisman Trophy candidates. What more do you want out of an offensive coordinator? William, I want to follow it up by pointing out that today the Alabama offensive line, all five of them as a group, were selected as one of 20 national semifinalists for the Joe Moore Award, and this is presented annually to the nation's top offensive line unit. So that alone should shush some of the Mario uh, questioning. And I need to ask you this question from the chat room. You've already answered part of it about how they're doing, but – the chat room would like to know what are you hearing from your friend Mario Cristobal about his future in this profession? Well, I don't know why somebody would think that Mario is a friend of mine, number one. I, I like to refer to my sources as sources. Um, that being said, 
um, you know, they were actually the week one winner after the Wisconsin game of the, the Joe Moore, you know, award. They give that award out on a weekly basis. And then, you know, they, and, and if you don't know who Joe Moore is, from a historical standpoint, I would put him right there at the same level as Joe Pendry as far as being an O-line guru. I was actually fortunate enough um, to be recruited by Joe when he was the O-line coach at Notre Dame when I was coming out of high school. And uh, I think it's a great deal um, that, that his son and, you know, Aaron Taylor, um, you know, the former All-Pro Green Bay Packer offensive lineman that have, have put this thing together because it, it sheds so much light on, you know, a very complicated and for a, a casual fan, um, a very confusing position. Um, you know, I, I, I think we've done this on, on this show, you know, throughout the course of the season. You know, the Alabama fans have just gone crazy about, you know, the O-line play. And, you know, look, it, it, has the O-line struggled in certain aspects of, of play this year? Um, my, my response would be yes, with pre-snap penalties, uh, you know, jumping off sides, illegal procedures, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, they've done a really good job um, when, when it comes down to what I like to call nut-cutting time, and that's imposing their will in the fourth quarter. You know, anybody that thinks that Derrick Henry, with his limitations as a running back, um, is is the leading candidate for the Heisman without having quality blocking in front of them, they're insane. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, it all boils down to if, if when, you, when you look at stuff and you try to make an informed opinion um, or an analysis on this thing, you know, going all the way back to the spring, you know, what the plan was, was for Grant Hill to be the starting right tackle this year and for Dominic Jackson to be the starting right guard. And, you know, for all the reasons that we all know about now, Grant Hill's no longer with the team. You know, Dominic had to play right tackle because there was nobody else. Um, I, you know, Cameron Robinson has done a unbelievable job this year fighting through not only a shoulder injury but a high ankle sprain. Um I've been very pleased with what they've done. Um, You know, you've got the the three new starters. Um, You know, Pierce Bacher has um, kind of been the the, the bell cow with the pre-snap penalties and stuff. But, you know, go back and watch the film, you know, when he pulls, you know, on the counter play that Derek has scored so much on. Um, You know, he's a a program for three or four more years, um, or three more years, excuse me. Um, I, I, and I just think, you know, listening to y'all talk about the Greg Little situation, and, and I totally agree with Drew, um, you know, about the, you know, if Little wants to come, I, I hope he doesn't come because I think, you know, Alabama needs that spot probably more so at defensive end and running back than, than the other positions that I heard y'all talking about. Um, you know, they need to sign, you know, another running back. They need to sign, you know, four or five more defensive ends, um, you know, defensive tackle, defensive end types. But to answer the question as far as Mario Cristobal's future is concerned, um, he is not near as interested at this time in that Miami job that's being portrayed in the press. Um, you know, he he got sideways with the administration when he was down there um, prior to coming to Alabama. You know, they didn't like him accepting the position. Um, for two or three weeks and then jumping ship and coming to Alabama. 
Um, you know, he is not a big fan of, you know, the, the administration that they have down there. Uh, but the biggest thing is, um, you know, when he left to come to um, Alabama in 2013, they didn't even have lights on their practice field. So, you know, unless they want to try, try out another Nevin Shapiro to fund things, or if Jeremy Shockey and Ray Lewis want to come up with a, you know, a former player slush fund to get those facilities you know, in place, that job is not anywhere near as desirable as people think it is. You know, when you look at what Jimbo Fisher's doing at Florida State, when you look at what, you know, Jim McElwain's done in a phenomenal first year at Florida, you know, there's a lot of uphill roadblocks in place. Um, so I, I really don't think unless something drastic happens between now and, you know, the bowl game, um, I fully anticipate Mario Cristobal will be back at Alabama for the 2016 season. Quick follow-up, William. What if Central Florida came calling? I think that would be a real intriguing job for both him, uh, maybe even Kirby Smart or Lane Kiffin. You know, they've got excellent facilities uh, because of their enrollment, which I think is pushing close to 60,000 now. Um, They've got plenty of money. They've got a rabid fan base. Um, now, Now, let me go back to the Miami situation. I think there is a much bigger threat of Mario Cristobal going back to Miami as the assistant head coach and O-line coach, maybe even O.C., if his best friend in life, Greg Schiano, got that job versus him taking that head coaching job. But, you know, Mario's very appreciative and he's very happy um, in Tuscaloosa. His mother and father-in-law live in a suburb of Atlanta and, uh, you know, his wife and their two young kids, um, you know, can hop in the car and go over there and spend time with the grandparents whenever they want it, uh, whenever they want to do it. Um, you know, they're two and a half hours away. Um, so, you know, he, he's very content where he is right now. And, you know, if you look at, you know, what he's got in front of him, you know, in 16 and 17 with the product he's going to put on the field, you know, why go to a school where, Really, every coach since the Butch Davis, Larry Coker transition has taken place has failed. Um, you know, all of those guys have had the same access to recruits, um, you know, down there, and they haven't been able to get it done. So, you know, that job um, is not really as desirable as people think it is, and, and they're cheap. You know, they don't want to spend any money on facilities. Um, they don't want to pay a coach what the, you know, the – you know, the, the market rate is. So I would be totally shocked if he ended up, you know, back at Miami, you know, outside of working for his best friend, Greg Schiano. But you brought up a great point. You know, that Central Florida job, I think, you know, could certainly be in play for him and Kirby, um, you know, depending on what happens at South Carolina and Virginia Tech with Kirby. And, William, I wanted you to comment on this. I thought the one of the – the uh, best storylines of the win over Mississippi State on the road. You see a, a freshman All-American like Minka Fitzpatrick get injured, and everyone's been watching Tony Brown closely since he uh, lost the cornerback uh, job to uh, in, uh, to uh, Marlon Humphrey once he got healthy near the end of fall camp. But everyone knows Tony Brown is a five-star and has tremendous talent. That For him, it's just been needing to mature and fully buy into Saban's program. I thought uh, the job he did Saturday was tremendous and that he could end up being 
very key down the stretch, especially in the playoff with his uh, talent and ability. If he continues to get on the field, of course he will probably start this week at the nickel with uh, Minka out. But even just the rest of the season, if the coaches start trusting him and rotating him in, your thoughts on uh, Tony Brown and, and of course, he'll be counted on heavily in uh, 2016. Yeah, and I think, you know, before you start talking about what's going on currently, I think people need to understand the backstory about Tony. Um, you know, his dad had a massive stroke when he was in the ninth through the tenth grade. And, and when I say that, I mean, he's, you know, wheelchair ridden, you know, part-time bedridden. And, you know, he was, he was Tony's hero. You know, it affected him. It affected him in a, in a big way. Uh, one of the main reasons that he ended up at Alabama was that his mother felt like Nick was the, you know, the person that could step in and be that father figure to him and kind of replace, you know, what he's lost with his dad. You know, he's still alive. He's still breathing and living. But, you know, he responds sometimes and sometimes he doesn't. And so, you know, he, he's had a rough go of it. And, you know, I think when you see people that, you know, Tony hasn't been knocking over liquor stores and, you know, getting arrested for assault, but he has had some doghouse issues. And that's been more insubordination type stuff versus, you know, going out and committing crimes. And, uh, you know, Nick loves him. You know, Nick and Kirby think that, you know, he's got an opportunity if he can put it all together, you know, to be one of the best defensive backs that they've ever coached. And, uh, you know, his best friend in Tuscaloosa is the heavyweight champion of the world, Deontay Wilder. And, you know, Deontay has, you know, he spars with Deontay. And, uh, you know, Deontay and his trainer think that if Tony wanted to focus solely on boxing, that they could have him a professional fight inside of 18 months if that's what he wanted to do. So you're talking about a guy that has a chance to play pro football make the U.S. Olympic team in track and, and be a professional boxer. That's how talented, that's how much natural gifts this young man has. You know, watch that Mississippi State game Saturday. He could have had two interceptions. Um, and I agree. I think it, it's working out great for, you know, not only Tony Brown, but also Minka Fitzpatrick and Mel Tucker, that you've got somebody like Tony that can step in and, and get some experience. You know, he's kind of become this year's version of Reuben Foster last year. He's kind of become the enforcer on special teams like Reuben was last year. So I think Tony, you know, after having a, a real challenging, uh, frustrating summer, you know, you, like you said, Drew, he came out of spring practice as the starter, you know, at corner, lost that position this summer. I think more so of his own undoing versus – you know, Minka or Marlin being better than him at those two positions. And I like the the challenge that, that Nick and Kirby and, and Mel Tucker, you know what, you're not going to start. You're going to be on special teams, and you're going to have to earn playing time. And, uh, you know, you see him out there playing with that passion on special teams and ear-holing people. Um, and, again, I think it sets up really well for next year because on the defensive side of the football, you know, that back end of the defense for 2016 is going to be easily the deepest and most talented position on that side of the football. And he's going to play a big part, um, you know, in the 2016 season. And just great thoughts on Tony, great insight with the Deontay Wilder angle, William. But 
to switch gears a little bit, I think the most intriguing thing everyone's looking for Saturday, and first of all, everyone hates that Kenyon Drake uh, has been snake-bitten his whole career and has gotten injured yet again, though he's already had the surgery and uh, and, uh, and this past Sunday. And I know you believe he has a, a chance to be back for the Florida Gators in the SEC championship game should Alabama reach Atlanta, which I think they have a very, very good chance of doing. But your thoughts on uh, behind Derrick Henry, what we'll see on Saturday, and Bo Scarborough made his second appearance. Obviously, he'll get a chance to should get a chance to play. I should say this Saturday. Uh, we got we got to remember the shit through the tin horn. But what what are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, Damian Harris and Bo, and how much they may play this weekend? Well, you know, I think when you talk about, you know, Bo Scarborough, you have to, you know, hit the rewind button back to spring practice. Um, you know, what the plan was, you know, in spring was, you know, Derek was going to be the starter. You had the change of pace back in Kenyon. And then the plan was for Bo to come in and be the finisher in the fourth quarter. And, you know, obviously that got derailed by his knee injury and then the NCAA suspension. But I can tell you this. Uh, he ran Ashawn Robinson's ass slap over in LSU preparations, embarrassingly so. Um, I've spoken to a couple of D-line starters in the last 24 hours, uh, asked them the same question that you asked me, you know, how much will he play this weekend? And their response was, we hope a lot because we're tired of him running us over. Um, he, he is a future star in the making. Um it's just, and I think you'll see it play out this weekend, like you saw the, the last three minutes of the Mississippi State game. Um, you know, whenever they pull away from Charleston Southern, you know, I'm expecting, you know, halfway through the third quarter, you'll probably see the backups go in. Um, you'll see the same rotation that you saw Saturday. You know, whether it's every play or every series, I think Harris and Bo, um, you know, will will rotate. Um, you know, if somebody's looking for a comparison, um, he's an inch shorter and 10 pounds lighter. The difference is, you know, Derek gets to top speed 10 to 15 yards down the field. Uh, Bo gets to top speed when he's two yards, you know, past the, past the hole on the line of scrimmage. Um, and unlike Derek, um, he doesn't stiff arm people and, and try and make people miss and run them over. He, he I mean, and run by them. He, he likes to run you over, and he takes a lot of pride. That's kind of why I threw the Sean Robinson nugget in there. Um, if he can run Sean Robinson over and embarrass him, um, he can probably do that to anybody he's going to face going forward, um, you know, Charleston Southern, Auburn, and hopefully forward in the SEC championship game. But I expect that rotation like you saw, you know, in the latter part of the game Saturday to continue um, against Charleston Southern. Wim, I wanted to ask you because I, I know you watch the blocking more closely than the uh, average viewer. Uh, and, and just taking it in, into account the job he's done blocking and the job he's done receiving, uh, if you're advising O.J. Howard right now what to do, should he stay or should he go, what would you tell him to do regarding NFL draft? Uh, I, I think he needs to come back. Um I think he's done a much better job this year um, as a receiver. You know, the drops have kind of diminished. You know, and he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities, um, you know, as a receiver. More so, he's gotten more this year than he got last year. 
Um, you know, obviously Amari Cooper was, you know, the focus. And, you know, you, you've got a guy in Calvin Ridley that has blown Amari Cooper's freshman stats out of the water. Um, and I think that's something else that, that people need to appreciate about, you know, Lane Kiffin as a play caller. You know, there's not a lot of offensive coordinators, you know, around college football that could do what Lane has done this year when he lost, you know, his, his, the two top wide receivers in Cameron Sims and Robert Foster, you know, Cam back in the spring, Robert versus uh, – who did he get hurt against? Louisiana Monroe? Um uh, one of those. Uh, Ole Miss. Yeah, you know, one of those that, that was why there's such a cacophony of errors. There you go. And uh, and still be able to produce a, uh, um, you know, a, a proficient offense. But, you know, O.J. is really the criminal um, in a lot of the blame that the offensive line gets. Um, you know, if you go back and you look at the – you know, some of the tough sacks and some of the tough hits that Coker has taken after he's let go of the ball, it's been O.J. with and in pass pro. Um, you know, obviously, when you see them playing a true freshman in hell hinges as much as they've played him, you know, Dakota Ball has kind of become an afterthought. Um, that, that tells you right there that, you know, they're not sold on O.J. as a blocker and I've got a pretty sneaking suspicion that the NFL's not sold on him at this point either. Now, I think another year in the program, another year in the strength and conditioning program, um, I think he would do himself and, and his financial future, um, you know, a, a big service to come back for one more year of college football because, you know, he's a prototypical guy. This is why I tell people, you know, whether it's Darren Lake at Alabama, whether it's Montrevious Adams at Auburn, um, you know, going back to Anthony Bryant from 15 years ago, it's a huge jump for somebody that plays small school or private school, in O.J.'s case, football in high school, to come to the SEC and be physically ready for what they're going to face. O.J. Howard cannot win the majority of his battles at the point of attack versus SEC defensive ends and outside linebackers. He's not going to win any of them at the NFL level. So he needs to come back for one more year. And William, I wanted to—I know this is you know slightly off topic, but I know you followed their program very closely as well, and you've always kind of been a fan of Les Miles. But are you surprised at all the talk of him trying to supposedly having to coach for his job the last two weeks after, uh, of course? Uh, the beat down at the hands of Alabama, and then, of course, not performing well against Arkansas. Personally, I think he just needs to tweak his offense and start running more of a spread scheme from the, with, with, with using the QB as a runner. Either that or completely go after the Zach Mettenberger-type pro-style QB. But I, personally, I, I know Les Miles wouldn't stay unemployed long, but do you feel like his time may have run out at LSU? No, I don't. And, and I thought that was – you know, and again, I, I can't get my hands around, you know, which one of those two guys are, are to blame the most for LSU's offensive woes. You know, going all the way back to 2011 with Jordan Jefferson. Um, you know, if you look at what Cam Cameron has done as a football coach prior to coming to LSU, you know, it's hard for me to sit there and say, you know, is he really looking at the types of quarterbacks that he recruits and signs? 
and this is what he comes up with. You know, they trotted out against Alabama and did exactly what Nick and Kurt, and they've got a quarterback in Brandon Harris, you know, who I'm very familiar with because he was the the bridesmaid to uh, David Cornwell when they were seniors coming out of high school. You know, Alabama came really close to extending an offer to Brandon Harris and not David Cornwell, but he supposedly, you know, outperformed uh, Harris at the camp their, their summer before their senior year. Um, you know, he's a dual-threat quarterback. Um, you know, he's not a quick-twitch guy, um, you know, like a Nick Marshall or a Johnny Manziel. He's, he's more of a glider and a strider. Uh, but, you know, he can run the zone read. Um, you know, they've got three outstanding wide receivers that, you know, I think if the right offensive scheme was put into place, they could take a lot of pressure off of an overrated offensive line and, you know, one of the best, you know, running backs in the country and Leonard Fournette. But somewhere between Les Miles and Cam Cameron, they've got to have a meeting of the minds and, you know, start doing what their personnel dictates versus trying to, you know, fit round pegs and square holes with their personnel. Um, you know, because, the you know, the guy that they've got committed right now, you know, he's a dual-threat guy. Um, so, you know, why do you keep signing dual-threat quarterbacks if you're going to run a pro-style offense? Um, it, it's why I think, um, you know, whether it's Lane Kiffin or, you know, offensive coordinator X at Alabama, you know, going forward, you know, in, in the spring, um, you know, if you've got Blake Barnett and, and Jalen Hurts coming in who are both spread dual-threat type quarterbacks, you know, if Lane Kiffin leaves and takes another job, you know, is Nick going to go get a, um, you know, another Jim McElwain, Doug Nussmeyer, or is he going to go get a Sonny Cumbie or a Doug Meacham and run the spread? You know, I don't know that. But I know Nick is, you know, the best coach in college football, um, and he's going to have to make that decision. And I think that's why he brought, you know, Lane Kiffin in. Um, to kind of, you know, get some fresh ideas, um, to maybe get away from what the, the normal, you know, uh, ground and pound norm was prior to him. Um, but I don't think that Les Miles is, is coaching for his job. Um, you know, certainly the, the streak that they're on now of losing to Alabama um, is concerning to them. But, you know, they've got great skill players. You know, where I've seen them go backwards – is along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. That's not what they used to be, um, you know, based on where they're at now. You know, they were touting, you know, their center, Ethan Posick, um, as an All-American center and, and the best center in, in the SEC. Uh, and, and, I mean, Darren Payne absolutely owned that kid. You know, he was driving him three yards into the backfield um, on every play a couple of weeks ago. And you're talking about a guy in Posick it's been in the program for three years at a college level, you know, versus a kid that just walked in out of high school. Um, so that dynamic's not going to change next year, especially after Darren Payne's got a year in Alabama strength and conditioning program. Um, I thought it was a huge tactical error um, for Les to hire Kevin Steele. Um, you know, he's never been an elite defensive coordinator everywhere that he's anywhere that he's ever been. Um, you know, and I, I kind of scratched my head when Les made that decision. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. I mean, if they have a collapse this weekend against Ole Miss, then maybe my opinion will change. But, uh, you know, Les Miles is not the only 
uh, SEC head coach that is struggling trying to figure out and stop a losing skid to Nick Saban in Alabama right now. You know, ask Dan Mullen that question. Ask Butch Jones that question. Ask Mark Rick that question. There's a lot of them that are scratching their heads. William, if uh, Nick Saban has to replace both his offensive and defensive coordinators, and that's a realistic possibility, I think we all four know that, if he has to replace them both, uh, who are some of the names that would be coming up in that Saban Rolodex for those two jobs, William? You know, on the OC side, Kerry, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I've I've had some names floated to me. Um, well, I take that back. I have had one name, and that was Rick Neuhausen. Um, You know, a guy that I personally love and have been very impressed with the last two years um, that I think would fit into, you know, Nick's wheelhouse um, if he wants to stay the pro-style route is uh, Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator at Arkansas. Um, he's proven with what Brandon Allen's done this year um, as a quarterback in a tough league that he can develop a quarterback and get them better. Um, I love the rhyme and reason of his play calls in game. Um, you know, he's only making a half a million dollars a year at Arkansas. That is somebody that I'm attracted to. I don't know if Nick is. But, again, you know, it goes back to the personnel decision, um, you know, with the quarterbacks, you know, that are going to be on campus. You know, you've got Barnett and Jalen Hurts that are both going to be battling for that job with Cooper Bateman this spring. All three of those guys are basically spread, you know, dual-threat quarterbacks. You know, you've got an outstanding pro-style guy, um, you know, coming in the year after them and Jake Fromm from Georgia. So, I think that's going to be the the intriguing hire um, if it has to be made. Um, On the other side of the ball, I'll be completely shocked if Nick doesn't promote Mel Tucker, the defensive coordinator, if Kirby gets a head coaching job. um, That's almost a no-brainer. You you promote Mel Tucker um, and you hit the send button and start asking for resumes for an inside linebackers coach. Um, You know, (laughs) Who wouldn't want that job? You know, hey, come in and coach, uh, you know, Reuben Foster and, you know, five other five-star linebackers, um, you know, to replace Kirby from that aspect at the linebacker job. Um, to me, I think that's how it'll play out. Um, you know, certainly has some history with Todd Grantham. He's got history with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, so, but, but I really do think that's the, you know, natural matriculation um, you know, point on the defense would be to promote Mel, especially after what you've seen him do um, and how much he's improved that secondary this year. And uh, But on the offensive side of the ball, I, I really don't have a clue as far as names are concerned. And, William, I wanted to get your take on if that does play out this way. I was discussing this with someone today. I know he's worked his way back up since the unfortunate off-the-field situation when he was about to go to Florida from Texas Tech, but he's now with the New Orleans Saints. Do, would you, do you think that there's a possibility uh, that Nick Saban, he's done this before and brought people back, but do you think James Willis could be a name for inside linebackers coach should that uh, position become open? You know, nobody's paying me $7 million to make that decision, Drew, but that's who my first call would be to. Um you know, that that was an, off, an unfortunate off-the-field incident. Um, 
you know, he, he's done a really good job of rehabbing his, his career and, and his reputation since then. Um, he did an outstanding job um, when he was at Alabama the last time around. Um, you know, was a great recruiter. You know, was a great position coach. And, again, like I said, you know, since, you know, Nick's been there, um, that's probably the easiest position to coach because of the attention and um, the number of great linebackers that they recruit and develop. So that would be my first call. And like you said, um, you know, he's gotten sideways with, you know, other defensive coaches in the past, Lance Thompson, Sal Sinceri. You know, Sal was kind of the um, – the, the the guilty culprit that started the uh you know Nick Saban is you know tough to work for and I don't ever want to do it again when they parted ways at LSU and you saw how quickly he came back and worked for Nick when he did um but you know James Willis would be my first call I think he is an outstanding coach he's an outstanding um recruiter and you know, had an unfortunate, you know, domestic incident. And, you know, we've seen with, with numerous people in different walks of life, you know, that, that kind of situation can play out for a lot of people. And as long as it's not a problem that, you know, you repeat and, and you know, make that same mistake twice, um, I think that's certainly something that can be rehabilitated and, and you know, give somebody an opportunity. And, and again, um the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, Tommy Tuberville, when he went and worked for him, um, you know, he went out and coached a year in Canada. All those teams, uh, you know, vetted him, and obviously they felt like that situation was under control. And, you know, if it ends up being the guy, I'm sure, especially after the, the Jonathan Taylor episode this year, I'm sure Nick will spend a lot of time vetting him as well. Well, and I think he did a good job his two years at Louisiana Lafayette with Mark Hutchbeth as defensive coordinator as well before going to the Saints. That's right. That's right. And that's a, you know, that's another, uh, um, you know, coach that has had some, uh, you know, off the field issues with his personal life and a guy that's done a, a really good job, um, you know, at Louisiana Lafayette, which is a tough place to be successful at. You know, he's a guy that, you know, a lot of people have a, a circle around on their coaching search list that, that, you know, you might see make a jump. I wanted to ask you something, William, since you were talking about the linebackers. Uh, to me, after Tim Williams, who's having a great year, but to me, the, the guy that's getting a lot of hurries and close to getting sacks, and every now and then gets the sacks, is uh, Rashawn Evans. And yet, there is, and I'm talking about him as an edge rusher, a jack, or even a, a Sam, but there's talk that in the spring he might be looked at at, at inside linebacker to push Holcomb and play opposite Reuben. Have you heard that, and does that make any sense to you? That's not, that's not even talk. That's ha- um, and, and he's actually, you know, for people that pay a lot of attention, they've snuck him in at inside linebacker in the dime package next to Reuben a lot more than people think. And, uh, you know, one of the most incredible plays uh, that I've seen this year, um, if you go back, if you can't remember this, watch it. Um, he absolutely got decleated by Alex Collins versus Arkansas and jumped up and ran 15 yards to the other side of the field and tackled Brandon Allen before he got back to the line of scrimmage. I mean, we're talking 
Derek Thomas type change of direction and, you know, short distance span speed. Um, oh, but yes. they love no doubt, William. I went crazy in the press box when that play happened. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy that, you know, um, you know, is, is really undersized still to be a, an effective jack at the point of attack in the run game. You know, he could probably do, do the job at Sam, you know, standing up like you see Dylan Lee do. Uh, but, no, that what you just described, Kerry, that is not a, a rumor, a, a myth. And, again, I don't know what would happen with that, you know, um, experiment that's going on as we speak if Kirby was to leave and, and, and get a head coaching job. But there is a lot of uh, work that's being done right now, um, you know, in certain packages. You know, he's not a guy that, you know, you want lined up across from LSU with, with Leonard Fournette to meet, you know, an offensive guard or Leonard Fournette the whole. Uh, but against these spread teams, and Alabama's going to see more of them next year than they saw this year uh, with the schedule flip-flop. Um, that, that's really the perfect role for him you know, on first and second down versus a spread passing team, you know, have him be in that spy next to Ruben. And then, of course, you know, when you trot out the, the, the dime package or the rabbit package on third down, you know, you, you see him with his nose two inches off the ground and his rear end, you know, a foot and a half up in the air. Um, that, that's why I think this is a perfect scenario um, when you look at what Alabama's going to lose a lot of those big body guys off of that defensive line. You know, Allen, Robinson, and Reed are all projected to be first-round guys. But they've got all of those impact guys coming. You know, Ryan Anderson, who I think is the most complete player run versus a pass rusher that's coming back next year. Tim Williams, Rashawn Evans, you know, a guy that I think will emerge next year, and he actually – got pretty nasty against Mississippi State the waning moment Saturday. Number 47, he's had a number change, Christian Miller. Um, I think, you know, so many people are panicking about the losses um, along that defensive line, and uh, I think it's unwarranted. I think it's, it's you know, the back end of that defense is going to be so good next year. Um, the pass rush is – going to be still going to be outstanding i'm not expecting them to keep up the pace that they're at now uh, but it's still going to be a very dangerous component of that team and, and i think rashawn evans whether it's kirby as the defensive coordinator or the next guy you know he's such a a weapon uh, with his short span quickness and his pass rushing ability you know he's going to have a bigger role next year at whatever position along with a guy that's just got in my opinion um, his body build reminds me so much of the, the former All-American from Florida, Javon Curse. Um, just, just mark my words, um, Christian Miller will be a huge, huge uh, contributor next year to that defense. And uh, I expect the same, William. I thought I, I liked him a lot in the spring, and I, uh, and I was I enjoyed the fact that he got on the field, even though I'm like everyone else. I was like, who the hell is 47? Until I figured out, okay, Miller's not 34 anymore. Uh, and then he was out there. And I, I, I really expected him to play more this year, but he's behind so many talented players. But I, I agree, he's got long arms, great athleticism. But I wanted to switch sides of the ball, too. And I know you, you already kind of talked about Calvin Ridley's 60-yard play. 
But the two things about that play uh, that really I I liked the most is it's two guys that made blocks that have really bought in. And of course, Kenyon Drake made the first block, but then the hustle our Darius Stewart showed to run down and run interference to ensure that Calvin scored was amazing. And I was really critical of our Darius at the start of the season, but he may have come further than anyone on the offense. And I just wondered what you thought of uh, as you've watched him this season. <laughs> well, first of all, my first thought is, is I don't even know. Calvin's so fast and so elusive. I really don't know if he needed any blocks to score that touchdown. But your point is very valid. Um, and you mentioned two guys that, you know, less than a month ago um, that I think a lot of Alabama fans were very frustrated with. Um, you know, you even saw, you know, Lane Kiffin come out and, you know, not criticize Kenyon Drake, but kind of explain the methodology of how he was trying to go about and coach him. And I think both of those guys were pushing. Um, you know, they, they were, you know, our Darius Stewart's drops early in the year. I think we're a byproduct of him thinking, well, I'm going to catch the ball. I need to start looking, you know, which angle I'm going to take to the end zone to score. You know, every time there, uh, Kenyon Drake carried the football, you know, he was looking to take it to the house. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Kenyon, he got hurt last year. I mean, the last week, um, you know, and prior to his injury, I thought, you know, first half of, of Mississippi State and, uh, you know, the week prior, he had his two best games of the year. But, you know, you're, you're talking about two guys that are phenomenal football players, and I think they, um, you know, do what the coaches ask them to do. Um, you know, our Darius was obviously a, a wildcat quarterback in high school and has really transitioned well um, to wide receiver. I thought he was really on the verge this time last year of breaking out and, and kind of making a name for himself prior to getting hurt last year. Um, but, you know, I think when you – when you start talking about losing, um, you know, who the players and coaches felt like um, were the two best wide receivers on the team and Cam Sims and, and Robert Foster, you know, the the DBs, you know, kind of compared Cam Sims to a smaller-scale version of Mike Evans. You know, he's so big, he's so physical, he's got such strong hands. You know, if you throw a jump ball up nine out of ten times, he's going to come down with a the ball. They, they hate covering Cam Sims, you know, Robert Foster is, you know, more of a glider and a pure speed guy, but you saw what he could do, you know, early in the year and back in the A-Day game, um, you know, prior to his injury this year. You know, for, for our Darius Stewart to have the year that he's had, um, you know, Richard Mullaney, Calvin Ridley, um, I think that's just a testament to, you know, not only Lane Kiffin being creative and finding ways for other guys to impact the offense, position um you know there's not you know look look what happened to Auburn's offense you know taking the quarterback out of it look what happened to their offense when Duke Williams got dismissed from the team um you know what would Mississippi State look like um without Duranya Wilson um you know what would Baylor look like without the Coleman kid and, and Alabama was able to absorb two losses like that at the same position group and, and still put a pretty dangerous offense out on the field this this year I want to ask you about a guy that I know you covered and evaluated while he was recruited, and now he's in Tuscaloosa. He's a true freshman. He's not getting talked about a lot. He's only caught one pass, but he's played a lot in the blocking game. Going forward, say starting next season, what role in the Alabama offense do you see for Hale Memphis? 
Um, you know, I had the opportunity, I guess it was this time last year, to uh, to interview Hale on, a, on another radio program with, uh, with Drew. And, you know, when we hung up, I told Drew, I said, man, I love this kid. Um, he's a blue-collar guy. Um, he's a team first. He doesn't really feel comfortable talking about himself. And, and, you know, I told Drew, I said, you mark my words. You know, this is a kid that's played football, basketball, and baseball, you know, since he was old enough to, you know, chew drum and walk straight. And I said, when all these other sports go out the window and he starts being a full-time football player and he gets in that weight ring, which he hasn't really had an opportunity to do because of, you know, his, his schedule with the other sports, um, he's going to be a factor. I was I was expecting him to get red-shirted this year, Terry. Um, and I think because of O.J. Howard's struggles and, D- and Dakota Ball's struggles, um, you know, he's kind of been thrust into that role, and he's performed a lot better than I expected him to. And, you know, I, you know, when you can come in as a true freshman tight end, and I promise you dripping wet tails probably – you know, he certainly isn't north of 240, and he's probably not south of 235. He's somewhere in between. And for somebody that's six, for somebody that's six foot five, that's not very big. Um, he's done exceptionally well, um, and I think with with a with an um, he's gotten some positive reinforcement with his performance this fall. Man, you know, feed that kid five chicken press a day. Uh, you know, make him squat and power clean. I really think he's a guy that you could see. Um, and again, when you're six foot five, this is still pretty big. But I think he's a guy that you could see show back up next August, right around the 260 pound range. And if he's been able to survive and you know have have a lot of positive moments this fall in the SEC, being a little bit light in the rear end. He could be one of the biggest surprises of the team next year. And I agree. One, one, one more, one more little sidebar. Um, you know, it Go doesn't ahead. hurt. It doesn't hurt to be best friends and you know socializing and running the streets with the leader in the clubhouse um, for who the starting quarterback's probably going to be next year, Blake Barnett. So you know, those two are going to spend a lot of time you know, with seven-on-seven type stuff. And, you know, I think Blake Barnett is, uh, you know, a kid that is really motivated, got some limitations, um, you know, in his own right with certain aspects of his game, his wind-up. He's kind of got a slow delivery. Um, I don't think he's got an elite arm talent, but I think uh, he's got the wheels um, and he's got the brain to dissect stuff and make quick decisions. And, you know, again, we, we've gone through this, you know, ever since A.J. McCarron departed. You know, that, that quarterback battle this spring is going to be something that's really fun to watch because I think, you know, between Barnett and Hurts and, and Cooper Bateman, um, they all three have a lot of similarities. But at the same time, there's all some things that um, I think separates one from the other, and that's going to be interesting to watch whether it's Lane Kiffin or a new offensive coordinator, to me, I think, you know, if Nick holds true to his word and and coaches through the end of this next contract when he turns 70, let's say 64 now, so 15. So, you know, you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, 
2000, somewhere between 2021, 2022. You know, if he gets, you know, uh, Jack West in 2018, you know, and you've got Barnett, Hurts, Fromm, and, and Jack West stacked up like Cordwood at the quarterback position, and I think that's probably, you know, aside from being able to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken poop at the quarterback position, I think that's probably the biggest gift that Lane Kiffin has brought to the program in the last two years. If you have, you have seen, you know, we've gone from, you know, taking a forced commitment from Cooper Bateman's high school coach, two months later him getting embarrassed by uh, Parker McLeod at camp, and all of a sudden Lane Kiffin has come in and totally changed the dynamic in the evaluation process of the quarterback recruiting at the University of Alabama. Yeah, William, you're right about that. That's, he has completely, and uh, with uh, they've already got Hurts uh, committed and ready to enroll in January. From uh, will be is committed now, and if they get Jack West, who had a very good first year as a starter, they did go down in the first round of the playoffs. But his future is very bright with Jack Kelly, coach, or, uh, with uh, Coach Kelly, uh, Jeff Kelly coaching him. Has been on the show. I don't think there's any doubt uh, that the Italy is talented group of quarterbacks has ever been in Alabama at one time. But then I also wanted to ask you this. Uh, obviously, uh, the Iron Bowl is going to be the big topic next week, and Gus Malzahn uh, has not had a good year this year. They've, they're going to be 6-5 and five when they beat Idaho this Saturday and bowl eligible. Uh, but uh, it's just not the year everyone is. It looks like Gus Malzahn is on ball. On what's happened to Gus? To me, I think it's proven that he's a good uh, offensive coordinator, but he's not really an elite recruiter and developer of players. Uh, but he came. But what is your take on his future as Auburn's coach? I, you know, Drew, I think he's a dead man walking right now. And uh, I, I, I said this when he was hired um, that that it would take, you know less than two years for the elite defensive minds um, to, to figure out, you know, his offense. You know, it used to drive me insane um, two years ago, you know, when they were on their, you know, national SEC championship, national championship run. And, you know, his pace, um, you know, was hurting everybody so much. And I would just scream at the TV, you know, how difficult is it for you defensive coordinators he runs the same freaking play after he picks up a first down. You know, it's a dive play, you know, through the three-hole or the four-hole. How difficult is y'all for y'all to put a defensive tackle on either side of the center and clog those two gaps up? Um, and I just think that, um, you know, you, you take Cam uh, Newton out of the equation. Um, you know, he had that, that you know, good run with, with Nick Marshall, who was a nightmare for, for defenses to defend because he's such a, you know, a quick twitch, Johnny Manziel type guy. Um, you know, he makes those play fakes. You, you've got to account for him pulling the ball and running. Um, but, you know, go back and look at what he did as an offensive coordinator. You know, he got fired halfway through the year when he was working for Houston Nutt up at Arkansas. For, for trying to sling the ball with his quarterback from Springdale, Mitch Mustaine, um, to his tight end, Ben Cleveland, and the wide receiver that ended up transferring to USC versus handing the ball to Darren McFadden and, and uh, Felix Jones. Um, Damian Williams. There you go, Damian. I couldn't remember his name. 
And, you know, I think what you saw out of Gus in 2009 with Chris Todd, you know, that's kind of the watermark for him, uh, you know, that they were a, you know, eight or nine win team, four or five loss team, and they were very average and adequate on offense. Um, you know, to me, if I was somebody that, you know, was donating big bucks to Auburn, I don't understand, you know, why they're going to give him another year. What What's the difference in giving somebody $8 million this year to send him on the road before the, the program can go in reverse even more than it already is versus paying them $6 million next year? You know, it's it's no different than the confusion that I had when their athletic director made the decision to, to spend $16 million on a big screen TV when they could have outdone Alabama and Tennessee and Texas A&M and totally built the biggest weight room in college football. Um, you know, they've got facilities problems down there. They've got talent problems down there. You know, Ellis Johnson giggled in Gus's face when Gus dismissed him in his office last December. You know, hey, Gus, I'm a big boy. Um, I understand how all this works. But you don't have a coordinator and X's and O's problem. You've got a, a talent problem. And that's shown itself this year. And I don't think, especially on the front seven on defense next year, that was the, the talking point all year. Um, if we can just get Will Muschamp to fill the defense that doesn't give up more than 30 points a game, Gus is going to boat race every team that he plays and score 40. Well, that didn't work out. And, you know, I think Carl Lawson's going to turn pro. I think uh, Montrevious Adams is going to turn pro. And they're going to be facing the same problems that they had this year. I think you'll see this play out, you know, in the game next weekend. I think they're going to give – Alabama the same problems that Mississippi State did for a quarter and a half. And then, you know, because Gus's offense is going to be three and out, three and out, three and out, you know, that front seven on defense for Auburn is going to be gassed and you'll see them fold in the second half. And that's going to be a problem for them next year. And I don't know if you've looked at their schedule, but three of their four games in the month of September are against probably the team that might be preseason ranked number one in the country going into next year, Clemson, Texas A&M, and LSU. And I think the head coaching search for Auburn will start in earnest October 1st. They might beat Texas A&M. That's a, a different mess. But I don't see how they beat Clemson or LSU in the month of September next year. All great points. And, and I'll just interject this. When all these people were picking Auburn to be winning the SEC and maybe going to the playoffs, and they were basing on Muschamp, William, I kept saying to those people, and I never could get through to him, except for, for he would listen, but I never could get through to him when I would say, okay, what part of Alabama-Florida 2014 did y'all not watch? Because Will Muschamp was the de facto defensive coordinator of that team. He had better players in Gainesville than he had in Auburn this year. And yet he was just going to walk on campus and pull these rabbits out of the hat and give them this great defense because he had Carl Lawson, Patrice Adams, and for count that he was going to. It didn't happen. Now, I'll say this. They, they did a pretty good job on defense past Saturday. Defense didn't lose them the Georgia game. But through the course of the season, I'm agreeing with 
said, William, I, I just yes, it, their defense has gotten a little better, but their defense is is, is facing something next weekend that's been anything they've seen all year. And we saw what LSU did to them with Leonard Fournette. I, I have every reason to think that Derrick Henry can do the same type of thing to them down there in Harry. Now, I want you to correct me if, if anything I'm saying is wrong. No, no, no. Nothing that you've said is wrong. I think it's an even better, you know, exploration and debate to take it one step further. Uh, Jeff Collins has fielded a better defense this year at Florida, minus the first-round draft pick, Dante Fowler, being gone, than Will Muschamp ever fielded when he was at Florida. So, He's come in and taken Will Muschamp's, you know, what, three- or four-year recruiting classes and fielded a better defense than Will ever did. And I'm not taking anything away from Will Muschamp. There's a lot of positives that you can say. There's a lot of things that I like about Will. Um, He's never going to be a good head coach. Um, But I do think he is a salty, solid defensive coordinator. But, again, like you touched on, you know, you, you you know, everybody talks about, you know, my Auburn friends, they all talk about, you know, Carl Lawson. And don't get me wrong, he does a great job of affecting the quarterback. But how many plays do you see when somebody runs straight at him in the run game, plays that he makes? Not many at all. Um, I thought Byron Cowart was the most overrated, number one overall prospect in the country since Deshaun Hand. Um, you know, that, that kid was nowhere near as ready to play SEC football this year as Deshaun Hand was when he came to Alabama. Um, you know, it, it's, it's the same thing. And I think that's what, you know, people are starting to appreciate about Nick and Kirby. Um, you know, and, and Will's the one that, you know, started this, this slogan saying whatever you want to call it, you know, the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. And, you know, it's funny to me because all my Auburn fans, they didn't have a problem, Johnson, in 2013 when, you know, he had his bend but broke, don't break defense. You could run a lot of yards, you know, on them between the 20s. But they were great in the red zone in 2013. But for $1.5 million a year this year with Will Muschamp, they are sitting right now at the, the, the number 64-ranked team in scoring defense, which when you talk about defensive statistics, that's all that matters. It's how many points you give up. That's exactly where Ellis Johnson's bunch finished last year when he got fired. So, you know, Ellis looks like a prophet to me with what he told Gus on the way out the door. And I think that Gus, is a borderline narcissist. You know, he got caught up in that guru. Um, you know, I'm Nick Saban's kryptonite. Um, you know, nobody can keep me from rolling up a lot of points on on them. And I think, you know, the Jeremy Pruitts, the Nick Sabans, the Kirby Smarts, um, you know, go back and look in the last two years at the halftime adjustments that Pruitts made I'm going all the way back to the 2013 National Championship game when Pruitt was at FSG. He gave up 10 points to him in the second half. He gave up seven points to him last year, and he gave up 10 points to him yesterday. 
people have caught up. People have adjusted. You know, I'm I'm on the record as saying that, you know, I think Nick and Kirby, you know, wasted two years and starting to recruit this second defense that they've got to to attack these spread defenses. But for the love of God, they've made up for a lot of ground in a short period of time. You know, if you look at all of the things that have played out, you know, with that Auburn program this year, you know, Jeremy Johnson being a Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, Rock Thomas being the best running back in, in the SEC, Duke Williams being the best wide receiver in the SEC, you know, the Will Muschamp factor. Uh, we're not going to miss Reese Dismukes. Austin Golson's better. He's bigger and strong. I mean, it's been one epic fail after another. And, you know, when you start breaking down personnel, you know, you guys talk about this amongst yourselves. Uh, you know, Jacob Coker would be the starting quarterback at Auburn right now. Um, there isn't one person on that offense that would be a starter at Alabama. player that they've got on defense, in my opinion, is the true freshman Carlton Davis. But, I, you know, I wouldn't start him over Marlon Humphrey or Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, it's it's not an X's and O's problem. It's a Jimmy's and Joe's problem. And they're not going to be able, you know, that was their talking point back in the spring. You know, Rodney Garner, T-Rob, you know, Muschamp, Lance Thompson, Damian Craig, we've got the best recruiting staff in all of college football. Well, guess what? Uh, it's about to be December the 1st, and you're sitting at like 20th in the country I think eight or ninth in the SEC in recruiting right now. And going back to when they hired Gus, you know, it never got beyond the first interview, but but I've been laughing about it ever since. Because if Pat Dye had got, you know, everybody talked about, you know, Gus Malzahn versus Bobby Petrino. But behind the scenes, what Pat Dye wanted was, guess what? This program has always prided itself on being a salty, tough, physical football program on both sides of the ball. Do you guys know who Pat Dye wanted Auburn to hire in 2013? Kirby Smart. Yep. And at that time, when the first interview took place and they asked Kirby to give some, you know, ideas – of who he was going to bring as coaches. It was going to be Mike Bobo as his offensive coordinator, Jeremy Pruitt as a defensive coordinator, Scott Cochran as his strength coach, and Will Friend as his offensive line coach. Now, me being kind of an anti-bammer, which I enjoy screwing with my own fan base probably more than I need, that would have been hilarious because it would have been Bill Oliver times 10 going over there with Kirby, Cochran, Pruitt, and and will, but, you know, Pat Dye was on to something. You know, we may not be Alabama right now, but if we make this change and do this, I mean, imagine, you know, the recruiting implications. You know, if they'd have gotten Kirby and Pruitt and Bobo with the Georgia-Florida, you know, high school coaching connections there. Um, you know, say what you want about Pat. But he was on to something, and I think that was the correct move back then, and I still think it was the correct move today. 
We've got a caller I'm going to bring in now. It's got some questions for you, William. Uh, but before I bring him in, we've we got a situation right now on BAMS Radio, as, as y'all are listening, that we've never had before. We've got representatives on the air of the three greatest eras in Alabama football history. We have Thomas Watts, our producer, who was a tutor uh, under the Nick Saban era. We have uh, William Barger, who was a player in the Gene Stallings era. And now I'm going to bring in our caller, Colin Big C. McGuire, who was a manager in the Paul Bear Bryant era. Now, Big C, uh, I bet you have a question for William Redfish Barger after hearing all that good Auburn stuff right there. Yeah, I, did. I wish I'd listened to it long. I was trying to identify the voice. I know who Barger is. How you doing tonight, big man? Big C, you know when the last time was I saw you? When was it? I was living with Roger Schultz and Toby Shields at a townhouse in Cahaba Heights, Alabama. Oh, yeah. I thought it was, yeah, it was pretty wild. In, 19, I remember that night. in 1995. And I woke up one morning to go down to the refrigerator, and you were asleep on the couch. That might have been after the Tennessee game that year. Was that when it was? I, You know, your memory's probably better than mine. I, I'd probably tickled myself the night before. But that, that's the last time I've seen you. How you doing, man? I'm good. Golly, that's 20 years ago. I'm still hanging in there. I got a radio show in Greenville. Um, I'll pre-promoting that. But I was, I knew that voice sounded familiar. Let me ask you this. Since you, all right, explain to me. All right, you was talking about uh, I, I came in when you was talking about Ellis when he was going out the door when they let him go at Auburn. What did he say to Miles on so you know? Well, you know, uh, I like to refer to him as sources, Big C. I'm not going to name names. No, no, no. But, but I mean, uh, what, did he, what did he say to Malzahn is what I'm saying. I missed that. Oh, well, well, what he said was, is I'm a big boy and I understand how this stuff works. This isn't the first time I've been fired. But he said, you can make a change at the coordinator position, but you don't have an X's and O's problem You've got a Jimmy and Joe's personnel problem. And yeah. whoever you hire to replace me is going to have the same struggles and the same challenges to overcome, not only with the lack of talent on that side of the football, but the inherent challenges that you present running the type of offense that you try and run. You know, that was one of the things that Muschamp had written in his contract before he took the Auburn job, a luxury that Ellis didn't have, when Ellis was there, Gus Malzahn would not not would not allow full speed tackling to the ground in practice during the week, and you know that was a huge issue for Ellis. I wonder why they couldn't tackle over there when Ellis was there. And you know, Big C, you you've been around. Alabama football a lot longer than I have. Um, you know, and I, I got to know Ellis on a personal level when I was a player. He's a very intelligent. He's His IQ is way above the norm for a football coach. He was a great <laughs> linebackers coach at Alabama. He's had yeah. success. He's had success at Clemson South. But don't forget, you know, aside from the year that he was the head coach at Southern Miss, the three years prior to that, when he was working for Spurrier at South Carolina, he had three top 15 defenses in a row in the SEC 
you know, working yep. with Steve Furrier, who's another, you know, offensive, you know, heavy-handed coach. Yeah. Um, so Alabama, won a, Alabama won an SEC championship with him as the defensive coordinator in 1999. That's true. And he was there under Coach Stallings in 92. So, I mean, Ellis has been around. And I'll tell you, because I know you'll appreciate this, Big C. Um, you remember Lemansky Hall? I certainly do. Number 11. He, he had been dismissed from the program. Uh, suspended was lit. Brother Oliver wanted to run him off. He was living on Dabo Sweeney's couch in Dabo and his mom's apartment over there at uh, Bent Tree in Tuscaloosa, right up the road from Harry's. Yeah. Uh, Ellis drove over to his to the apartment and talked Lemansky into coming back to the program, and he said, "I want you to show up in the morning." at the linebackers meeting, and I'm going to make you an outside linebacker. If brother doesn't want you to be a safety, I want you to be an outside linebacker. You know, the rest is history. He was an All-American. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out. Yeah, he had an eight-year career in the NFL, and, you know, now he's working for Dabo up there at Clemson. Amazing. I did not know that story there. I just remember when they switched an outside linebacker, he turned out to be a lot better football player. But um, what, gosh, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the team this year, Big C? Talking about Alabama's team, I think. Yeah, I think I tell you what, Drew uh, is he there tonight? Hey, Big C, tonight. what's going on, bud? I think uh, I remember this summer you was making a comment about Tosh Lapoy. Yeah, and I remember. All right, I'm gonna be honest with you. I hate to admit this. I was one. I said I'm wondering what he's ta- if he knows what he's talking about because. I remember you said he was a better recruiter than Lance Thompson, and he was a better coach. Well, outside linebackers this year are doing pretty damn good at uh, rushing the uh, rushing the uh, uh, passer than they did under Lance. So I got to give it to you. You were right on the money on that about him. And I think yep. he's been an addition that they ain't commented on. Now, I know Mel Tucker has contributed a lot, too, but when you got a, uh, when you got a, your best pass defense is a pass rush, in my opinion. In the pass rush this year, so far, and I hope I don't curse them, but so far, so good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna reserve my total after the end of the after they play. Whenever they finish the season, I'll give you my assessment. But I give my thumbs up on the defense. It's looking really good, and it's a hell of a lot better than it was a year ago. Well, Big C, do you remember the last time that Alabama recorded nine sacks in a football game like they did Saturday? Didn't they say the record was like against somebody like Tennessee Chattanooga, but it wasn't even that many? No, no, no. No, no, no. Unless unless I'm wrong, I was actually a recruit my senior year in high school at Legion Field Against Penn State, the last time that right, happened. I, mean, yeah, they, I know Derek Thomas did, did a lot of damage today. I will agree with you on that. I think he had nine all by himself in one game. Drew and Terry can that's... correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, what they were saying in the press box this past year was that 1975 they had 11 against Tennessee. 
But, but that Jerry, night, wasn't yeah. the last time that they had nine was Derek Thomas's game versus Penn State? Yeah, probably. But I'm talking about the, the record for Alabama in one game. I think oh, okay. Know. I don't think I think Derek had all nine that day. <laughs> I think I think Derek had about seven of them. Okay. Yeah, but I I, I agree with Um, you, Big C. I think that I I think Tosh Lapoy has been a huge addition uh, to the coaching staff. You know, the players love him. You know, if you see him over there on the sideline, um, you know he's got a headset on. He's actively involved with Kirby and Nick and the and the plays that are being called. Um, You know the, the. the, the energy and the, the, the techniques um, that, that him and Bo Davis came up with for this year, you know, early in the year, um, it was the defensive linemen getting their hands up in the air and batting balls. As the season's gone on, it's been them actually finishing plays off and, and you know, making sacks. So I think he's been a huge addition to this, this coaching staff. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to hand it to you, Drew. You were on the money on him. Well, I appreciate it. And it's like William and I said, we followed him when he was at Cal Berkeley. And, of course, when he went to Washington. And uh, it was a uh, shrewd move by Nick Seven once he was cleared at Washington to bring him in as a quote-unquote intern and then basically uh, hire him full-time when Lance moved on to Auburn. And it's been a huge upgrade and a huge boon. And, I think also hiring Mel Tucker, who's a three-time defensive coordinator in the NFL, has had a huge benefit for the development of the secondary as well. William, we wanted to just go ahead and thank you. We, you've been with us nearly an hour and a half tonight. I want to thank you for taking the extra time and joining us on BAMS. It's been just a great segment, and we really enjoyed the conversation, and we look forward to you being on with us again soon, man. Appreciate it tonight. Hey, roll guys, Tide, Hey, Roll Tide, Big C. All right. It's been fun talking to you a while, man. You too, man. Call me anytime. All right, I'll get your number from some from these boys here. We'll do that. We'll get you on the phone. We'll talk to you. Sounds good, buddy. I, I look forward to it. Thanks. Me too. Thanks, sir. All right, bye bye. All right, guys. All right, before you ask your next question, uh, I think we would. We, I'm gonna give credit to Rolling Tide on, on for this quote, but uh, this, this edition of Bams Radio can be summed up like this. Like shit through a tin horn, these are the days of our lives. <laughs> now, see, that was a takeoff on something Saban said at his press conference tonight. Uh, before you ask your next question, Big C, uh, I wanted to give Drew an opportunity to make an announcement real quick. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I got word uh, tonight Alabama has had a commitment in baseball. I want to thank uh, Garrett Tucker, uh, who seems to been a friend of this show. Uh, but uh, uh, from Brewer High School, his old alma mater, left-handed pitcher 2017, Dakota Bennett, committed to the staff tonight uh, for Alabama baseball. Also got some insight, uh, asked him about Terrence Ferguson. He did say the staff was surprised uh, that Ferguson has not signed in the early period, but he still thinks ultimately he signs with the Crimson Tide. Uh And Big C, go ahead and ask us. I think we've got time for about one more football question, buddy. All right. Somebody's wondering, and I told them I'd ask you, how is recruiting going for Alabama? Where are they ranked at in the top five right? Well, you know, Big C, they're – you know, I believe – 
I haven't checked the overall rankings of the services, but I they are in they're they're anywhere from third to five right now. Um, I think they're going to end up in the top three, no doubt. Maybe even number one again. We talked about it a little bit in the first hour. Um, they're still recruiting Marlon Davidson from your area. Obviously, Auburn has not had the people had hoped. Um, you know, they, they're still they're in on a lot of good defensive linemen. Uh, uh, you know, they they Michael Carr from Jackson, Georgia, Dexter Lawrence, and with this uncertainty with uh, with Les Miles at LSU, gives them a very good to Rashard Lawrence uh, from Monroe, Louisiana. Also, Devin White, uh, the running back linebacker from uh, Spring Hill, Louisiana. I just think overall they're going to finish very strong. I do not think they're going to get Greg Little. I think he's going to go to Ole Miss. But as William Barter and I have both said, uh, it look, look for Alabama to take a player in another position. I've heard that Devin Assisi, uh, the tight end from De La Salle in California, Tosh LePoy maybe getting ready to make a move with him. So we will see. Uh, I, I just really believe overall – uh, they're going to have their pick of the list always. They're going to sign anywhere from 27 to 28. Uh, there might even be some attrition with on the commitment list right now. But I think uh, overall it's going to be a very, very good class, and it's going to continue to – Alabama's going to continue to be the most talented team from 1 to 85 college football. Well, it's always good to have you. It's uh, about time for us to have the show. Uh, before we go, uh, Drew, do you have anything else you want to add for our listeners? I just want to say I enjoyed the show tonight. I want to thank William Redfish Barge for the extended segment. Uh, Rachel Barbaro, who is, uh, has been you know, very uh, a, a mainstay in the sports media since uh, she's been since being in Birmingham and moving on. I believe now she's uh, based in Nashville. I want to thank her for joining us for the first time. And, uh, of course, I want to thank all our listeners out there. We had Play Like a Champion and many others on Twitter and in the chat room. And I also want to thank Deborah Biggs uh, for uh, for listening. And uh, we just want to continue to have great shows for everyone. And I think we had some really good interaction tonight. And I think William brought a lot of knowledge and insight uh, that had not been said, uh, at least publicly. And uh, I think it was a great show. It was one of our best. And we appreciate everybody that listened. Don't forget, you can hear it again on podcast at bamsradio.com. But for now, we're going to go ahead and and call it a week. So for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, for Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone, I'm Kerry Clark with Bama.com. Wishing you good night. Roll Tide. Thank you for listening to Bama Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.